bars and hoops, Lamont swoops, back alley cats, the back door cuts with alley oops, posting up, you on block on Mike and Booth, and kick it out to one who likes to shoot, oh yeah, said we merging them, got 50 with a surgeon, and some throwbacks like Snoop Dogg, with Magic Irvin's, and some more in like Master P and Dr. Irvin, playing on how about maybe a little Wayne speaking on bird back then, bars and hoops y'all, we hitting up all courts, but now with the sports talk, next we talk all sports, back to it. Got Jada and Jamal Croft, haters get crossed out, crossed up across all actual facts, points of view that you've never seen from your favorite artists like talking about Gerald Green or Gerald Wallace, whoever's on your favorite team, L I mean on the verse and still be great on the name for being H. Drake's opinion on spates, one synopsis of Blake, tip on Horford's fate, the facts we giving them straight, the truth they shitting on tape, who sports makes for a state, so true or you can debate on who you really done rate, come through it really be great, the true the fact like a state, A-A-M on Prime 8, please remember, bars and hoops, the center of the hood, make it part of your agenda. What up, what up, what up, y'all? Bars and Hoops, Steals the Great, episode 24. You know, today's rundown is pretty much touching on, you know, the NBA Finals. You know, a recap from game one to four. You know, a preview of game five. You know, we're going to also talk a little bit about, you know, the effect that the NBA referees have had on this series thus far. The KD effect. You know, we're going to touch on some of the comments that were made by guys like Shannon Sharp. You know, um, LeBron James' legacy, you know, where does he stack up now, you know, in terms of, you know, chasing the great Michael Jordan? Um, you know, where does this Warriors team pretty much stand when it comes to um, NBA all-time great teams in the rankings? We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the NBA rumors that's going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of rumors going on as, as far as free agency is concerned, you know, guys possibly switching teams and you know, it could be some other super teams in the making. So we're going to touch on all of that in this episode. You know, hopefully you enjoy it. You know what I mean? Catch us on, you know, social media. You know, like us, subscribe to us, follow us at barsandhoops.com. At, you know, Bars and Hoops on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, and um, Twitter. You know, but moving along, man. Let's just get right to it, you know. Um... You know, the NBA Finals have been pretty much what I've predicted, you know, thus far. Even though I did predict that, you know, the Golden State Warriors would sweep, you know, it didn't happen. And there's a lot of factors that factored into it. So, you know, let's just get right into it, man. Game four, man. The Warriors had a golden opportunity to make NBA history by going 16-0 in the playoffs. You know, that was rudely abrupted by a historical night by, you know, King James and the Cavs, you know, that game four, it just was like, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Above the Rim, but it seemed like everybody and their mother was Tommy Shepard on that court. You know what I mean? <laughs> you had guys like Kyrie playing out of his mind, and I'm, I'm a big Kyrie Irving fan, by the way. Even though I'm not a Cavs fan, I've always been fond of Kyrie Irving's game. I called him at one point in time one of the best point guards in the league, but as the series and as his career moves on, you start to see more and more that he's not a point guard, but he's a very talented guard. And in the right situation, if they put a point guard next to him, he can be very dangerous. But back to the game. My take was that, you know, the Warriors, to me, the Warriors did everything that they've done in the first three games. You know, 
The only thing that they didn't do was make shots, and they couldn't control the tempo because, I hate to say it, the referees pretty much dictated the tempo of that game combined with Cleveland making some shots. I can't take that away from them. They came out, shot the ball, lights out. Everybody stepped up and played their part. But the referees controlled the tempo of that game. You know, in the beginning, they called a lot of terrible foul calls in the first quarter. I mean, Cleveland went to the line 20-something times in the first quarter. That's that's ridiculous. That's what led to that historical first quarter that they had. They scored 40 points in the first quarter. Like, that's just unheard of. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. In the finals game, championship game, two best teams in the league, arguably one of the greatest teams ever assembled playing on the same court. They got outscored, and it was a historical night in the first quarter. I don't see that happening moving forward. I think that, like I said, that was just like a freak freak accident or something, man, because, you know, the way that Cleveland shot the ball, it was it was unbelievable. You know what I mean? Give the Cavaliers some credit. They didn't roll over. You know, they could have just came in and went with the motions and did what they had to do. But you clearly seen that they had some fire and desire when they were balling, and Kyrie Irving was a big part of that. He finished the night with 40 points. LeBron James, who's averaging a triple-double in the series, had another triple-double, and they played lights out. I got to give it to him. Can that happen again? I don't know. Can J.R. Smith step up again and play the way that he played in Oakland? It remains to be seen. Kevin Love, who knows? But I know one thing is that I know that the Warriors don't want to come back to Cleveland because if they come back to Cleveland, chances are it's going to be a Game 7, and I don't think that they want that. Speaking of Game 5, man, I, I predict that that game will probably be a blowout, man. I mean, truth be told, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the Warriors – you know, deep down inside, they didn't want to blame the referees for the way that the game played out because, you know, they didn't play defense either. You know, they got smoked. They gave up 136 points. But what I did notice is, is that the tempo of that game was pretty much the same pace that the Warriors played in all three games prior to that. They scored 30 points in the first quarter. They scored another 30-something points second quarter. Pretty much they ended the game with over 100 and something points. That's their game. That's not Cleveland's game. I mean, throughout the year, Cleveland has been shooting the ball lights out. I give it to them. But in order to beat the Warriors, you're not going to beat them playing that way unless you play that way that you played on in game four, shooting the ball lights out and playing out of your mind. I don't see that happening again. I see game five as a huge blowout. You know what I mean? I think that the king is going to come. He's going to play his A game. Kyrie Irving may have another remarkable game, but I think that the role players will end up, you know, getting that Cinderella slipper taken away from them and turning back to who they really are. Darren Williams, you know, throughout the first three games is pretty much a non-factor, non-motherfucking factor. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was 0 for 11 coming into game four from the field. You know, he didn't even score. You know what I mean? He looks like a shell of himself, and it looks like this may be his last stop in Cleveland. Shannon Fry, basically a non-factor. Tristan Thompson did step up a little bit during the game. You know, I'm not going to sit there and talk about this whole Kardashian curse and all that stuff. I'm not going to defame their name or anything like that. But, you know, he's been put in check this whole series. He hasn't been a factor. He hasn't been a monster on the board as he's been all season. You know, we haven't seen that Tristan Thompson Quite frankly, I don't think that we're going to see that Tristan Thompson come tomorrow, Monday evening in Golden State. You know, I I see Golden State probably running away with this one. They probably want to win on their home court. 
because the last time they won the championship, they won it in Cleveland. So I'm looking for the Warriors to come out really and go hard, man. I'm looking for them to have a historical night. KD is going to put this one away. I think that he was going to come away with the MVP award. Of course he is. He's averaging 30 points, you know, this um, postseason, as I did say he was going to do. You know, I said that he definitely doesn't want to make himself look like he's riding the wave of a team that was already built to win before he got there. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of guys, you know, during press conferences kind of taking shots at him indirectly saying that he came to a ready-made situation. The difference between him and LeBron's situation is that the, the Warriors didn't need KD. I think everybody knows that, you know. But with LeBron's situation, his situation wasn't any different. I mean, he went to Miami knowing that if he forms a tandem with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, chances are, you know, nobody's going to be able to deal with them. And people couldn't deal with that, you know, when they did go there. So it's like his move isn't any different than KD's in the eyes of competitive balance. You know what I mean? They dominated, and they dominated in their prime together. You know what I mean? So everybody can say KD's is worse, but it's the same effect when you really peel away the layers and look at the whole layer of land when it came down to each of their situations. Miami was already winning, you know, even with Wade there. He won a championship with Shaq before, you know, any of those guys came along board and played with him. You know what I mean? They made it work financially. They took they took advantage of the system, and they did what they had to do. You know what I mean? It's over now. LeBron kind of did the same thing coming back to Cleveland. You know, Pat Riley didn't give him his free reign to do what he wanted to do, so he took his talents back to Cleveland because he seen that Cleveland was an up-and-coming team that received three number one overall picks after he left. You know, remember Kyrie Irving was a number one draft pick that following year that LeBron ended up leaving to go to South Beach. So let's not forget that. They had a number one pick. They got Kyrie Irving. Another number one pick, Anthony Bennett. And then they had another number one overall pick, which turned out to be Andrew Wiggins, and LeBron James came back to Cleveland. They manipulated a move to get Kevin Love from Minnesota to Cleveland, and the rest is history. They won a championship with that team, as everybody expected, you know, and, you know, that was that. They got a miracle championship last year because you know i'm not going to revisit that but everybody knows that draymond kind of killed the warriors momentum you know that series that you know cleveland came back from 3-1 so here we are again you know the same situation same predicament the cavaliers are now down again three to one this is a totally different team though this is a totally different makeup of a team kd is more of a go-to guy for the warriors i don't see them blowing a lead at all. I don't see them blowing a lead at all. I don't see them really folding with the 3-1 lead. I think that, you know, the addition of KD is just, you know, too much. You know, he kind of neutralizes the fact that LeBron James is on the other, other end of the court. You know what I mean? With that being said, you know, LeBron is definitely one of the greatest players to ever play this game of all time. And, if, and to be honest with you, if... KD wasn't on the Warriors team and it was that same team that was constructed last year that um, Cleveland came back and beat from 3-1 I, I think that the Cavaliers would probably handle that same Warriors team in the same manner again not being down 3-1 but you can see that the Cavaliers clearly have gotten better you know they're shooting the ball a lot better their tempo is different 
if KD wasn't on this Warriors team, I would say hands down that the Cavaliers would probably beat the Golden State Warriors in a in a championship finals without KD. I can say that comfortably. Just looking at the way that the team has gelled together and grown, they would be able to beat the Warriors without KD. But the fact that KD is there, it's not happening. You know what I mean? It's not happening. He's an assassin. He's pretty much unguardable. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, he's the best player in the world because, you know, quite frankly, he's not. You know what I mean? He's definitely number two or three. Him and Kawhi Leonard, you know, they on LeBron James' heels, but clearly, overall, the biggest impact that a player has in this league is LeBron James. If he's not on that Cavaliers team, they're definitely a 7-8 seed in the East, but he's there, and they're the number one seed, and he's the king for a reason. But the fact of the matter is, is that this Warriors team is definitely a powerhouse, and, um, you know, I don't really see them squandering a 3-1 lead. I don't really think that game five is going to be that competitive. And, you know, the NBA got what they wanted. They didn't want to see a sweep. That's for sure. That's for sure. And, and moving into my next topic, man, the NBA referees, man. That game was atrocious, man. The way that the game was called was atrocious. The way that Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy and, you know, Mike Breen and everybody was on the sidelines commenting on that game, it clearly showed that they were disgusted with the way that the game was officiated. You know, you had referees making up phantom technical foul calls. Like, first it was on Draymond, now it's turned to Steve Kerr because they got a little bit too caught up into the hype of the crowd and basically wanted to throw Draymond Green out. I would be surprised if that referee ever referees again in a high-profile game because he clearly was a rookie to the situation and he clearly got ahead of himself when he called that technical foul. That was uncalled for. You know, it wasn't that serious. And what Draymond did wasn't that egregious, and it wasn't warranting a technical foul, you know, for one. That was one. Two, the way that they they controlled the tempo of the game from the first quarter, it wasn't consistent with the way that they've been refereeing the first three games of the series. You know what I mean? It was ref totally different. You know what I mean? Everything was a foul call, foul. Cleveland shot 20-something free throws, for God's sake. I mentioned that earlier, but we have to continue to look at that. It's like, it was ridiculous, man. It was ridiculous. It was an embarrassment to the NBA. And it, and, and I kind of said on social media, it's the reason why people look at the game sometimes as it's fixed. Or that, you know, they wanted to make the series a little bit longer for LeBron James to have a chance to come back. And I hate sounding like a conspiracy theorist or an unrealistic person, but I'm just giving you what people outside of of the NBA fans, casual fans, diehard fans, see. They see like the NBA does things to go above and beyond to cater to the king. You know what I mean? And I'm not being irresponsible by saying that, but the way that that game was refed on Friday brings stuff into question like that. That was just a terribly officiated game. It made people think back to Tim Donahue. You know, the infamous guy that rigged games and came out with a book saying how he rigged games and how other referees are possibly into those type of things. And, you know, it is what it is. Now rumors are coming out that oh, if the game goes at least five games, that's $10 million for the referees. I don't know how true that is. You know what I mean? It's hearsay, it's internet rumors and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes things like that come into play, man, and make people question some of the decisions that were made and some of the calls that were made, you know? It's just, it's a shame, man, that the referees can really 
determine the outcome of a game. You know what I mean? Them being so caught up in the emotion of the game, the crowd, you know, they need to, you know, they are only human. I give them that. But in those situations, you got to have your best. You got to have the best referees in the game. I don't know how it works. I don't know how they go about choosing referees to take part in these finals, in these games, but they need to come up with a system to have the best, like Tony Brothers and, you know, guys like that that have been around that won't get caught up with the crowd or, you know, won't get caught up in all the hype of the series or a player. Like, you need guys that have been there that these players respect and that know these players and know their tendencies and won't be so quick to call a technical foul. Or call a ticky-tack foul. You know what I mean? And that's what I've seen going on on Friday. I'm not going to say the referees determined the outcome of the game, but they changed the whole tempo of that game. You know, in Cleveland's favor. Now, don't get me wrong. The Cavaliers scored. They scored the basketball at will, especially Kyrie Irving. The Warriors were also scoring as well. It's hard to play 5-on-8. But what I did see is a Warriors team that still, throughout all the foul calls and everything, they were making 15-point runs in a span of three, four minutes. Like, that's that's insane how talented they are on the offensive end, that they can just turn around and score 20 points in five minutes. You know what I mean? Cut the game 11, 12 after being down 25, 26 points, you know, just seven minutes ago. You know what I mean? So they're a dangerous team. Monday's game tomorrow will be definitely, you know, officiated a little bit more tighter you know i don't think it's going to be just as bad as it was on friday i i do see you know it's still being you know called a little tight because the warriors going to come out with energy draymond's going to come out with his energy kd is definitely going to try to go to work i just hope that the referees don't cheat the fans by calling little nonsense ticky tack fouls in the beginning of the game to try to kill the momentum and slow the tempo of the game down because I think they know that Cleveland can't hang with, you know, Golden State. You know, LeBron has came out giving the Warriors their props, you know, Tyron Lue's giving them their props. It's one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. I just think that, you know, they're too talented and, you know, if the referees stay in their lane, it won't be a great game tomorrow. It, it, it'll be another blowout. It'll be a, a, a microcosm of what the NBA season was the whole year. It wasn't that entertaining, you know, just seeing four or five teams dominate. It's pretty lame. You know, this is like one of the weakest states that the NBA has ever been in. Does everybody like to see the super teams? Yes. Yes. But competition-wise, man, you know, teams are going into next season playing for third and fourth place. They know that the top two teams are going to continue to be the Warriors and the Cavs. It's like it's going to be like how it was in the 80s where it was just the Celtics and the Lakers. You know what I mean? And that's just the reality. But the difference is, back in that era, when the Lakers and Celtics dominated, you still had other teams that had competitive nature. They had players that were definitely Hall of Fame players. They didn't have enough talent around them, but they still gave you competitive games. Like everybody played to... And then the hand-checking rule... And, you know, things were different. That's another thing. You know, people talk about hand-checking rule and this, that, and that. So what, a hand-check was just maybe when you could just put your your elbow on the player and ride them a little bit. I don't think that today's players will fold under that hand-checking rule. I, 
actually the players of today are a lot more talented with the basketball than, you know, the 80s and 90s era. Let's be real. And they're much more athletic. You know what I mean? I definitely got into a few arguments on social media about that, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the program, but I'm going to stick to the agenda that I have already. Moving on, the Kevin Durant effect. I think I told everybody, you know, five or ten minutes ago that, you know, KD on the Warriors team is is definitely like the cheat code in a video game. I mean, you know, having him on your team is like, you know, you play your little brother in NBA Live or NBA Showdown and, you know, you know your little brother's younger than you. You know, you, you're really good at the game. So you can just pick any team and play him. But then your brother decides to pick one of the all-star teams to play. You think that you could beat him. Then he beats you, rubs it in his face. Then you look at him like, man, you, man, the only reason why you got that one is because you picked the best team. And that's kind of like the KD effect on the Warriors. It's like they are the best team on paper, man, and in action, as you can see. Like they're a well-oiled machine. And the scary thing is if they can keep that team together financially, you know, in the coming future, it's it's like, like I said, man, everybody's going to be playing for third and fourth place, man, because first and second place is sewn up. You know what I mean? Also, what this NBA series and NBA playoffs in general has shown is the difference in the conferences, how weak the Eastern conferences in comparison to the West. Granted, the Warriors swept their way through the whole Western Conference playoffs, but look at the caliber of the teams that they beat, you know, and how they beat them. In the East, Cleveland could have swept their way through, but, boy, they gave Boston a lucky win. It's just like, you know, Boston was a team that wasn't projected to go into the Eastern Conference Finals, and they made it. You know what I mean? Riding on the shoulders of a 5'9", 5'10", point guard in Isaiah Thomas with limited role players off the bench and no real second option in their offense, the Boston Celtics were able to not only win the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but they were able to make it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat a tough Washington team that came on, you know, late in the season. The next best team outside of, you know, Washington and Boston was what, Atlanta? You know, everybody else, Milwaukee, you have, you have Miami made a late run. They didn't make the playoffs, but that just shows you how weak the Eastern Conference is in comparison to the West, man. And, you know, some things need to change, man. The NBA has to figure out what they're going to do to change the competitive balance in the league because right now it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for the league. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, um how these super teams are being formed. You know, Shannon Sharp touched on something on um, The Undisputed with um, Skip Bayless. And, you know, he basically used Draymond's words against him, calling Draymond a bitch, because Draymond called LeBron a bitch. He said, you know, I can't imagine me being a player, losing in a championship game, and still off the emotion of that game of losing, I go in the parking lot and reach out to the second best player in the NBA to recruit him to come to my team. If you guys don't understand what I'm saying, he basically said that Draymond Green, after that loss to Cleveland, down 3-1, made the phone call to recruit Kevin Durant. Now, I heard that, you know, throughout the year, you know, they were pretty much in contact with KD on and off. Like, you know, man, you know you want to come to Golden State. Come with us. Come with us to Golden State. 
You know what I mean? Come with us to Golden State, man. We'll get you a championship, this, that, and the third. You know, I think that Shannon Sharp is right. Draymond was a sucker for, you know, calling KD to come to the Warriors after this. Like, you just got beat up by a bully. You know what I mean? And then you turn around as KD now and say, you know what, I'm going to join the bully. You know what I mean? Like, let me let me join the bully team because they just whipped my ass and I don't see my, myself beating them, so I might as well join them. And for Draymond to initiate that conversation, show that you didn't have any confidence in your team that you can beat LeBron James without adding the second best player in the world. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of agree with Shannon Sharp's, you know, call on the Draymond situation. You know, he said, nah, Draymond, you know, LeBron isn't the bitch, you're the bitch. You know, you're the one that reached out to KD because you knew that you couldn't deal with LeBron James. And that that showed that that says a lot about LeBron James and LeBron James' impact on the game. You know, don't get me wrong. A lot of people look at me sometimes as somebody that's anti-LeBron. I'm not anti-LeBron, which brings me to my next point, LeBron James' legacy. I'm not anti-LeBron at all. I don't like the fact that you're the best player on the planet. And I say that with confidence. He is the best player on the planet right now. Nobody in the game is better than LeBron James. The things that he does off the court is amazing. You know, sending kids to college, this, that, and the third. Like LeBron, LeBron is a great guy, man. He's a great teammate. He's a great character guy. But to me, he cries too much and whines too much for, you know, other players and things like that. Like, you're the greatest in the world. You don't have to come out and say, oh, we need a point guard. We need this. We need that. You know, you have two other All-Stars on your side in Kyrie Irving and in Kevin Love. That automatically makes you head and shoulders better than 85% of the league with the team that you have. You know what I mean? Why complain about more? Oh, I need a point guard. They got you Darren Williams, you know, which looked like it was a steal at the time, but Darren Williams is so far off, you know, of his game or what he used to be, it's not even funny. You know what I mean? You know, as far as LeBron's legacy goes, if they lose to the Warriors, it is what it is. It's like, what, he, he won three out of eight finals appearances. You know, that that's a black guy. He, he's no longer in the running of catching MJ. You know what I mean? And I still don't understand why people put him past Kobe, but the MJ talk is dead. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't touch MJ's legacy. Now, if they come back and beat the Warriors, you got to put him up there with Mike just because even if he doesn't have the championship rings or anything, he would have done something that Michael Jordan has never done in his career. Michael Jordan has never beaten a team that has this much firepower. He's never even faced a team or faced as many Hall of Fame players as LeBron has faced in his career. They said that Michael Jordan on his way to his championships faced nine Hall of Fame players. LeBron has faced over 30. You know, that's 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 crazy. You know what I mean? That right there just says, you know, the competition level was a lot different for MJ than it is for LeBron. And LeBron is handling it well. Don't get me wrong. He's dominated. You know, he's the most dominant force in basketball right now. In my book, LeBron is number three, you know, all time. You know, behind MJ, you got to put Kobe up there. You know, I'm not going to go back to the Bill Russells of the world and all of those guys because, quite frankly, I never saw those guys play. But, you know, I understand that they had some great teams. Like, Bill Russell was on, you know, those famous 
Boston teams with Havlicek and those guys. I never saw them play. I heard about it. Heard about the defensive mastermind Bill Russell was. And, you know, the Celtics, of course, have 17 NBA championship banners. The Lakers have 16. So that, that, that says, you know, most of the great players was on those two teams. But LeBron... He, it's nothing. It's nothing wrong with being number three. You know what I mean. The only knock on him is that South Beach move, teaming up with Wade and Bosh. I think was it was a weak move. You know, I'll be the first one to say it was a weak move. He didn't have to do it. You know, he could have still made it work in Cleveland, and the competitive balance of the NBA would have been a lot better. Because honestly, there would be no Kevin Durant move if there wasn't a LeBron move first. And I'm just being real. People could say, oh, it was always super teams and super teams came together. No, it wasn't. Most of those people that, that say that don't pay attention to the fact that that Boston Big Three was made via trade. I mean, it was the GMs that were friends that put those guys together. The Lakers tried it back in the days with Carl Malone and Gary Payton. With You know, Carl Malone was at the end of his career when he went to L.A. He was trying to chase a ring. He went to L.A. He didn't go there during his prime. You know what I mean? He went when he was, you know, at the end of his prime, tried to ride the Shaq and Kobe wave. He he got hurt. The Los Angeles Lakers got cleaned up by the Detroit Pistons in that 2004 championship game. You know what I mean? But other than that, there would be no Golden State Warriors super team with KD if there was never a LeBron James super team in South Beach. And to be honest with you, even the Warriors, like, you, you can't even consider them a super team because 95% of their roster was drafted by the team and they just got better through hard work and dedication in the gym. You know, Stephen Clay was both draft picks with the Warriors. Draymond was also a draft pick with the Warriors. You know, all those guys coming off the bench, McCall, you know, all of those guys were basically draft picks from the Warriors. So they're a product of great management, great team management. You can't even say that they were a team put together. KD just came and put the cherry on top and made them a super team. You know what I mean? But as far as LeBron James' legacy, he'll always go down as he'll go down as one of the most complete basketball players to ever play the game. I can say that. He's the, he's like one of the greatest all-around basketball players that I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, I've seen Magic Johnson play. I've seen MJ play his whole career. You know what I mean? And I've seen LeBron play his whole career. Quite frankly, LeBron is the most talented basketball player that I've ever seen on this planet. He's very smart. You know, he's very unselfish. He makes the basketball play. But again, the reason why people hate him is because he whines and cries a lot. And it seems like sometimes the NBA does things to his favor as the king. MJ got the same treatment, but... I think with LeBron, that that decision hurt him, hurt his legacy, and made him a villain. And the fact that, you know, the referees give him preferential treatment at times, which is deserved. Every star deserves that. Every star had it. But those are the reasons why his legacy is tarnished to some. But to him, he's, you know, he's a decorated, he's, he's definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. His accomplishments will go down in history. His numbers will go down in history. And I don't personally have anything against LeBron. He's a great player. He'll never be Michael Jordan. You know, I think that that, that conversation is going to stop with the way that the, the league is constructed now with this Warriors team and 
the next super team that's going to probably be formed. I don't know how many more chances Braun is going to get to get those championships, man. This is like, this was his window. His window is slowly but surely closing. When I get to the rumors, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The NBA rumors. There's a lot of rumors going around. Sounds like a lot of new super teams are on the verge of being formed. You got a lot of new guys coming into the NBA. So the NBA is going to be an interesting place in the next few years. But, you know, as of now, every other team that's coming up is, is basically playing third and fourth fiddle to Cleveland and Golden State. Which leads me to my next point. Where does this Warriors team rank in NBA all-time history? I think this is one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Like I said, I'm not I'm not a child of the era when, you know, Boston and LA was at their peak just winning championship at cha- at championship, but I I did see that historical 72 and 10 Bulls team. I did watch the Spurs dynasties, I watched the Lakers dynasties, and I see this Warriors dynasty forming. And quite frankly, man, the way that they're constructed, if they can keep it together, or just the the state that they're in right now, they're they're at least top two, top two teams of all time. Talent-wise, they're number one, but team play, they're number two behind the Chicago Bulls. And I I honestly think, and I said this on social media, I think that this Warriors team will beat any of those dynasties that I mentioned, the San Antonio. Laker dynasties, including the Bulls. When you when you look at the matchup on paper, you know, let's just say Katie and Mike will cancel each other out. I'm not even going to consider Katie and Scottie Pippen because we all know that KD will cook Scottie Pippen. I done seen Penny Hardaway cook Scottie Pippen. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. Scottie Pippen is one of the greatest defenders of all time at the small forward position. But KD is a totally different animal, man. He's 6'10", with a handle and a mean jump shot and a long-range game. He would have been a lot for Scottie Pippen to handle. You know what I'm saying? MJ would have MJ would have had his weight, no matter who the Warriors put on. Clay Thompson, MJ would have cooked him. Those two guys would have canceled each other out. To me, the deciding factor would be Steph Curry. Who's, who's guarding Steph Curry on the Bulls? Is it Ron Harper? Is it Steve Kerr? Paxson, any of those guys, I don't think that they would be able to guard Steph Curry. Steph Curry's handle is much more advanced than anything that any of those guys have ever seen. And his shooting touch is is remarkable. You know what I mean? He has the shooting touch of a Larry Bird. You know what I mean? A Reggie Miller. And he does it off the dribble, off the all types of tricks. And, you know, he's just something that that era of NBA basketball didn't see at the time. And we've seen how guys like Allen Iverson, you know, made history against Mike. You know, crossed them, the double cross, a historical crossover against Michael Jordan. And that was the beginning of what this new era of basketball is. Now everybody coming into the league, any guard is flashy, has a handle like that. You know what I mean? I just think that, that Warrior, this Warriors team is a great team, and they would handle that Bulls team in a seven-game series. It'll probably go seven games. And we're speaking hypothetical. You know, we're dealing with the hypothetical. This is something that you can go home, put on your 2K17, have the two teams match up against each other, sit back and watch it and enjoy. But I guarantee you, nine times out of ten in those simulated games, the Warriors will probably come out on top. 
MJ would get his. Scotty would do what he does. KD is going to get his. Steph is going to get his. But guys like Klay Thompson, the Draymond Greens of the world, those are the guys that would be the deciding factor, like the, the, the key factors to any matchup of any of those teams. You know what I mean? That's just my opinion. I know it's debatable. A lot of people will be like, what, are you crazy? Did you ever see Michael Jordan? I seen Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan tortured my team for many years. He tortured my Knicks for many years. I've seen Michael Jordan. I, I've, I've become more of a Jordan fan post-retirement than I was when he was playing. So I know what I've seen, and I know what I'm looking at now. Moving on, next on the list, NBA rumors. You know, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, being at the way that this NBA Finals is shaping up and it's turning out, you know, LeBron may end up dipping off on Cleveland again. I mean, it's a rumor. I don't know how serious it is, how true it is, but I want to be surprised. You know, at this point, LeBron bought Cleveland a championship. He bought business back to Cleveland. You know, Cleveland is buzzing again. I mean, they're still in good hands. They have Kyrie. They have Kevin Love. So the Cavaliers will be a a relevant basketball team. LeBron James probably has about four, maybe five more years left in the tank. They have to get used to life without LeBron. So LeBron going to chase his dream of playing with his friends, a la Chris Paul or Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony. I think that it'll be interesting basketball for about two good seasons. You know, their window will probably be one season tops because they're at a different state of their careers. They're on the tail end of their careers. And that's one of the rumors is LeBron to L.A. Now, if that happens, then you could say, okay, he's going to play with uh, Chris Paul. You know, then we can say, okay, now Phil Jackson may get his wish to move Carmelo Anthony on to the Clippers for whatever garbage they want to give us back and a possible draft pick. Then we can see Dwayne Wade. You know, he's out. He can opt out of his Bulls deal and go right to L.A. and play with the Clippers and play with LeBron and Chris Paul moving forward. Blake Griffin won't be there, so, you know, he'll be a key piece in any move that's made. And he may end up probably possibly leaving. The rumor is, is that he may end up in Oklahoma City with the Thunder. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of different variables and possibilities. Another rumor out there is Chris Paul. You know, possibly going to San Antonio. You know, would that make the Spurs better, uh, a, a better team? Yes. Does that make them contenders against the Warriors? I don't think so. Nah. Chris Paul to San Antonio won't really matter because LaMarcus Aldridge is still there. He's looking like his game is diminishing or that he's not comfortable in San Antonio. But it makes for interesting, it makes for interesting headlines. You know what I mean? Let's just say Chris Paul goes to San Antonio and LeBron LeBron decides to follow him because the you know now all of a sudden people are making this excuses that uh you know LeBron James needs a better coach. Who better than Coach Pop? You know what I mean? Who better than Coach Pop to lead LeBron to the promised land again? And then the Spurs will become instant contenders and pro- probably the favorites if something like that was to happen. But for something like that to happen, that means that the Spurs would have to probably move on from LaMarcus Aldridge, which can possibly happen. If they got a chance to get LeBron and CP3 to team them up with Kawhi Leonard, that's scary. That is scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's scary. Them, Those three alone, you could put the rest of the role players that the Spurs have around them, and it'll be problems in the West. 
On top of that, you could probably, you know, I mean, let me not go there because Carmelo Anthony won't be able to fit in San Antonio with the amount of money that they have on the table, on the books for them. But a guy like Dwayne Wade would be. You know what I mean? But I'm just thinking outside of the box. You know, Wade going to San Antonio with those guys, you know, that's a pipe dream. You know, they won't have enough money cap-wise to handle that team. But they can definitely make a move for CP3 and LeBron James can follow. You know what I mean? And then they'll turn into an instant contender to the Warriors and, and will possibly be a major threat to the Warriors to beat the Warriors. I won't be surprised if something like that was to happen. It'll make the inter- it'll make the game interesting, but again, then you'll have another 20-something NBA teams that are playing for basically nothing. You know what I mean? Until this, this trend and this generation of stars slowly fades out, the NBA won't be uh, competitive all around the board for another three to four years until these guys that are on top now eventually move on to different different careers. You know, the NBA is going to be a team of four or five teams that are stacked and everybody else is just playing just to play the game. You know, another factor into if Golden State can um, sustain their greatness is, you know, the status of Klay Thompson. I mean, he's come out and say that, you know, he has envisioned being the face of a franchise one day. By him saying that and by him making those comments when KD first came about his shots not going down with KD there, that was a red flag to me to let me know that Klay Thompson has already got his bags ready to go on to the next chapter of his life after this experience with the Warriors. Do I blame him? No. Klay Thompson is a good player. Is he a great player? No. Maybe he feels if he gets from under the shadow of Steph Curry and, you know, now KD, he can flourish and be a great player. I mean, look at what James Harden did. You know what I mean? I don't see that in Klay, but Klay is a hell of a shooter. Would he end up leaving Golden State? That's one of the rumors that's out there as well. Next you have, next rumor that's out there is the Mellow rumor, you know. Is Carmelo going to be traded? Is he going to waive his no-trade clause? If Cleveland loses, will Cleveland end up trading Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony? Would that make Cleveland a better team? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, Carmelo's a better one-on-one player, ISO player. It clearly shows, well, you know, Kyrie is basically doing what, 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 what Carmelo would probably do in a Cleveland uniform. Kyrie is scoring on one-on-one opportunities, getting to the basket at will and scoring. Carmelo Anthony will give you that same thing. You dump the ball into him in the, in the, in the post, he's going to create his own shot and score. You know what I mean? So I don't think that that would make Cleveland a better team, but, you know, that's a rumor that's out there. Maybe they may pull the trigger on a love deal to bring Carmelo in. You know, there's also rumors of Boston. Carmelo to Boston. I don't know how, how realistic that is. With Paul George and and um, Jimmy Butler, who are younger than Melo, on the market as well. The more realistic rumor is the L.A. Clippers rumor because the Clippers are basically giving us a bag of chips and some fruit punch, you know, for a, a fading star that can still fill the basket up. You know, the Clippers is definitely one of the rumors that seems more realistic. You know, Austin Rivers and. You know, possibly J.J. Reddick. You know, those guys can possibly be on a move to New York. 
you know, in return for Carmelo Anthony. And then now the wheels are turning. Now the Banana Boat crew can possibly be formed in L.A., like the earlier scenario I gave you. You know, or if rumors are true, Carmelo Anthony doesn't want to go anywhere, and I don't blame him. You know, why should I leave New York? I, I came here, I sacrificed staying here, you know, when I had the opportunity to go when I was in my prime to a, to a better franchise. But I chose to stick it out here for one, my family, my brand, and for the Knicks organization. And now with everything going on with his personal life, I don't think Carmelo Anthony wants to be too far away from home. That's just my opinion. I don't know him personally. I'm a Melo fan. I'm a Knicks fan. You know, but I don't see Carmelo Anthony leaving New York to go somewhere unless it's a contending team where he's going to win. He's a shoe in to win the championship. And I think that Melo has the pride to say, you know what, man? If I couldn't do it my way, I'm 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 quite content with my career. You know, NCAA, NCAA championships, the gold medals, the All NBA first teams, the how many All Star games he's been, his All Star appearances, scoring title. I think that Carmelo Anthony is pretty comfortable with the state of where his career is right now. To be honest with you, you know what I mean. His brand is doing well. His businesses are doing well. You know, he, he's definitely hands-on in these communities, doing things for these young kids, doing things in Puerto Rico. You know, Carmelo is a stand-up guy, man. I like Melo. You know what I mean? He, his makeup is New York City. But it remains to be seen with these next two years what Phil Jackson is going to bring for Carmelo Anthony and for the New York Knicks as a whole. Rumor has it is that James Dolan is starting to side with Phil Jackson because Carmelo Anthony was able to change the narrative to where now the fans and the media are now turning on the Knicks organization for the way that they're handling the situation. The way that Phil Jackson handled the situation sucks, and they deserve to be called out for the way that they handled the situation because it was unprofessional, and no player can go around and parade wanting to go play for somebody else. So you as a president shouldn't be parading, pushing a player to go play somewhere else. You know what I mean? It was uncalled for, and he made the Knicks look bad, and he made himself look even worse. And he made people look at his legacy as a coach now and say you weren't anything without Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? The triangle didn't work without guys like MJ, Scottie Pippen, Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal. Now you want to come here and force a triangle down these guys' throats or to anybody that's even thinking of coming to the Knicks. You're even having pre-draft camps or pre-draft workouts where you're having draft picks coming and practice the triangle. Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Who does that? Like, Phil Jackson is pitiful, and the way that that mellow situation is playing out is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Moving along in the rumors, you know, one of the most interesting people in this year's draft, Lonzo Ball. We all know what his father, LeVar Ball, is about. They're about their brand, the big baller. You know, a lot of people have mixed reviews on how that whole ball situation is playing out. But, you know, the Lakers have the number two overall pick. Lonzo Ball already put his foot, foot in his mouth, and his father already put his foot in his mouth, saying that they're not working out for any other teams but L.A. But it seems like, you know, L.A. isn't really sold on them, you know? You know, I had an interview with um, Chris Miles, you know, from um, NBC4 Sports, D.C., and, you know, he's not high on Lonzo Ball. You know, his comparison is like, you know, at best, he can, he'll can he probably be uh, Michael Carter-Williams. You know what I mean? He has Jason Kidd-like passing ability, but other than that, there's nothing else there. And I'm, he sounded like he's right. 
because, you know, the Lakers aren't really sold on Lonzo Ball right now. You know, eyes on Markel Fultz probably. They may take him. You know what I mean? So, you know, not only did his father cost him a lot of money and endorsements with this whole big baller brand thing, you know, you look at all guys like De'Aaron Fox signing their Nike deals and, you know, guys getting commercials and, you know, Lonzo just got it. You know, he, he he's the people's champ. Complex Magazine did something on him and his father. But the Lakers aren't really too high on him. You know what I mean? And that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt his brand. So he may drop. I just hope that he doesn't come here to New York because we don't need that type of drama here in New York. And the first thing his father will do is go to the media to get his point across. And we don't need that here in New York. You know, the last rumor on the list is, you know, Markel Fultz. You know, again, I spoke to Chris Miles last week. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really too clear on Markel Fultz. And, you know, I looked at a lot of the footage on him. And, you know, I seen a player that reminds me of a Derrick Rose type of guy. Athleticism-wise, you know, he shoot a shoot-first point guard. I didn't really see him get too many of his teammates involved. But um, from what, you know, I'm hearing from, you know, my guy Chris is basically saying, you know, the ceiling for this kid is Penny Hardaway. Now, that's pretty impressive because Penny Hardaway in his day was an animal. Penny Hardaway was, was he used to give, he used to give Michael Jordan fits until that series where they had to, you know, Mike and Scotty did a number on Penny. But Penny Hardaway was that guy. And if Markel Fultz, you know, ceiling is Penny Hardaway, and if Boston is to take him as, you know, the the consensus is out saying that Boston is probably going to take him, Boston may have a bright future. But again, they have a lot of guards and, you know, a lot of young players. At this point, they need a closer. That's why I said if I was the Celtics, I would strongly think about bringing a guy like Carmelo Anthony into that situation or even a Paul George. But from what I understand, Paul George wants to go home to L.A., so Boston may not be an ideal place for him. As far as Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler in Boston, I don't, I don't think that Jimmy Butler would be much of an impact for them because, you know, he is basically – he's a good scorer. He's a good defender. He's a great defender. But Melo has that, that it factor with him that he's an assassin, man. You dump the ball into him when you need a basket, and he's going to come through and make things happen. And not every team has that luxury, man. In a place like Boston and Brad Stevens – ran offense, I think that Carmelo Anthony would be a great addition to a team that adds a young player like Markel Fultz. So it remains to be seen what, you know, Boston does and how they work everything in this offseason and free agency as well, you know. So our last topic for the day is, you know, a little bit of the NFL news. And it's not really a big story to me, but it may become a bigger story, you know, this coming week. And that's the Odell Beckham Jr. no-show to OTAs. You know, you got people, you know, coming out and saying that this is basically Odell prepping for, you know, holding out. I mean, he's getting a million dollars this year, million and some change this year. Next year, he gets about eight million. And the following year, the Giants can slap the franchise tag on him. But, I mean, he outperformed his contract. You know, the Giants are in a tough predicament because they already allotted and gave their money out to you know, the defense, they didn't plan on having to deal with this Odell Beckham Jr. situation. But 
Odell has to be very careful because, you know, the lasting image that me and a lot of other Giant fans have is, you know, the dropsies. Raindrops, drop top. Odell with another drop. You know, all we see is all those passes that he dropped in the playoffs, and he got to be careful. I mean, he has the leverage right now. He's young. He's a superstar receiver. He's a receiver that the Giants have never had. And he needs to watch it. He needs to be careful. And I understand on his end, you know, it's the money fa- It's the money factor. What if he goes out and gets hurt? Then he doesn't have any protection. You know, look at what the Giants did for guys like J- um, JPP. Look at what they did for guys like Victor Cruz. The Giants aren't that type of organization that's just going to hang you out the dry if an injury occurs. They'll stick with you. You know what I mean? So I think that he needs to pay attention to those situations that happened before him before he makes a decision moving forward on how he's going to react to possibly having to wait to get paid. You know, the Giants are in a great position right now to compete for a Super Bowl this year. You know, their draft pick at tight end, you know, everybody's, you know, hailing and making big predictions that, you know, this kid is the truth. You know, he's going to definitely um, bring a different dimension to the Giants offense. And that's the Evans kid, you know, out of Mississippi State. You know, I, you know Evan Ingram, I never really heard about him until the draft, but all the tape and footage that I've seen of Ingram, he does look like he's the real deal. You know, I've been hearing comparisons to Jimmy Graham. You know, to me, he's an undersized tight end that can play the slot. That gives Eli another weapon. And everything depends on how Eli Manning comes into play this year you know what I mean that will determine the fate of the Giants and that will determine the fate of Eli Manning moving forward because you know they also drafted a a quarterback Davis Webb who you know you know on all indications look like he could be the real deal but then again you know quarterbacks have to be groomed in the NBA and the NFL man you don't just come in and take command of a team you know just like that you know so It'll be pretty interesting, you know, to see if Odell shows up to workouts that he's supposed to show up to this week. Hopefully he does the right thing. Hopefully he gets his money. You know what I mean? But it all remains to be seen because, you know, sports is a business at the end of the day. And these athletes and management treats it as such. So on that note, you know, thank you guys for checking in today. Bars and Hoops, episode 24. It will be up and running on iTunes very soon you know if you like us subscribe to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes um, follow us on IG at Bars and Hoops that's B-A-R-S-A-N-D H-O-O-P-S you know we're on Facebook we're on Instagram we're on SoundCloud and we're on Twitter my name is Stills the Great you can follow me as well on Instagram at S-T-E-E-L-S D-A-G-R-E-A-T. That's Steals the Great. And I'm on Instagram as well, Twitter and Facebook. On that note, I'd like to say thank you for checking in. Remember, life is about two things, love and hate. The key to life is making sure that the love outweighs the hate. And I'm Steals the Great, signing off. Peace. <laughs>